I'm thankful for my dad, thankful for my father, thankful for my father-in-law, thankful for my grandfathers, and the influence that each one of these uh, men of God had, had on my life. You know what I'm most thankful for when I think of my dad and my father-in-law and, and my granddads and, and even all my uncles, I, I, all of these men, so influential in my life. I think what I'm, my, I'm most thankful for are their expectations of me growing up as a kid. Their expectations of me. Um, you carry our name, boy, all of my life. I've heard that. You carry our name. You represent our family. Faye's father, make sure I understood, you married my daughter, son. You're taking on my role. You're taking on my responsibility. Their expectations of me, their expectations, I think, set the bar high. And I'm grateful for that. What they demanded was because they loved me. What they expected was because they loved me and they desired to see the man that God would have me be. So many positive role models, male role models, I've had in my life. And I'm absolutely thankful for each and every one of them. And one of the things that they always made sure of as I was growing up is that I never, they made sure that I never ever wanted to bring shame on the Owsley name or the Powell name. That was always important to them. And because it was so important to them, it became important to me. So it was their expectations of me that really helped direct my life. And so I'm, I'm so thankful for them. But my desire to live up to their expectations pales in comparison to my desire to live up to the expectation of my Heavenly Father and appreciate all of His blessings. Here is the one who has invited me to call Him Abba, Father, and enter into such an intimate, glorious relationship with Him. Yes, my dad and my granddad and all of those male role models that I've had in my life that were so positive, I, while I appreciate them, none, none of them can even come close to my desire to want to serve the Lord Jesus. Matter of fact, my, my dad and, and my granddads were always quick to remind me of Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. I was brought up understanding that scripture, that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And so as I name the name of Christ, as I, as I claim to be a child of God, an ambassador for Christ, as an heir of God, a joint heir of Christ, that name Christian, that name child of God is even more important than the name Owsley or any other of our surnames.
could ever be. That name that we have because of our relationship with God. And my desire to live up to their expectations pales in comparison to live up to God's expectations. His wondrous love, His matchless grace makes it an absolute joy to serve, to obey, and to please God. Knowing what He's done on my behalf, knowing what my Heavenly Father has done for me makes it a joy, not because I have to, but because I want to. I'm His child, and He has done so, so much for me. But you know one thing in the Scripture that's really not there? Look it up in a concordance. Look up how many times God says, you owe me. You owe him for what he accomplished on your behalf. All the blessings he's bestowed, the abundant life he's, he provides, the eternal life to give. Look in the scripture and how many times it says, okay, because I've done this, here's what I expect. Here's what you owe me. It's not there. It's not there. And you know why? One of the reasons is because you could never, ever repay him. With all the most wonderful, the most glorious, the, the, all the most righteous acts that we could ever muster and perform would never be enough to satisfy his holiness, his righteousness, wouldn't. You think of something that would be the most wonderful thing that you could possibly do that would please God. Well, the, really the only thing in the Scripture that talks about pleasing God is you living by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But that's what it talks about, pleasing God. You demonstrating faith, trusting in Him and His promises to do all that He's declared to do. But God will never say, you owe me. He just gives and He gives but more importantly, He works and works and works in your life to conform you to the image of His Son. He even does that work in your life. And because of all that, I want to serve Him. I want Him to know that I love Him. I want Him to know that I appreciate Him. And out of that appreciation, I'm just going to live my life in such a way that He is glorified. That's the desire of my life. And all who have believed the gospel, all who have tr trusted that Christ died for their sins, was buried and rose again, you are His children. Isn't that great? You are an heir of God. You are a joint heir of Christ, and we've talked about that many times, and I can't begin to tell you all the blessings that are related to being a joint heir of Christ. And the good news about that is that we're all blood-related. Isn't that something? We are blood-related because of who we are in Christ, and it's brought about because of His shed blood as we've been made part of his family. And we're all his children by virtue, by virtue of our identification with the Lord Jesus Christ and our position in him. Now, 
that little phrase in him that we want to talk about this morning, it is so important. It denotes relationship of placement or position. To be in Christ means that you are part of the body of Christ in this present dispensation. It means that you are part of his body and you, a, you identify with him. I think one of the most important doctrines that as a believer that we need to get our minds around, we need to get our hearts in tune with, is the doctrine of identification where we identify with Christ. And because of his perfect relationship with the Father, we have a perfect relationship with the Father. See, it's only in Jesus Christ that God the Father could make the statement, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. What a statement that is. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you get to be in His Son in whom He's well pleased. You talk about a secure position. You talk about a glorious position. You talk about eternity as a child of God and all the blessings that are in store, all the security that we have, because I guarantee you, there, again, I don't care what I do, it could never measure up to God's holiness or righteousness. It could never, ever do it. But God the Son, He did. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, and I'm in Him. So take that, Satan. I'm in Him. Take that world that wants to bring accusation. Yes, I sin. Yes, we trip, we fall, we make mistakes, we do things that are contrary to what God's Word says. But I am in Christ. And when God sees me, He sees me in His Son. He does not see my tainted blood. He sees the blood of Christ and His righteousness that's cleansed me from all of my unrighteousness. What a glorious position that is. My beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Wow. I want to be in Him. I want to latch hold of that, that security. And I think in order to understand our relationship with God, our blessings from God, our security in God, we have to understand the doctrine of of identification. It means that everything, everything our Lord has experienced, do you know you've experienced? Everything our Lord experienced, you've experienced. His crucifixion, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, His circumcision, His baptism, everything that He experienced, we being in Christ, we've experienced. Look at Colossians, chapter 2. Colossians, chapter 2. Wow, this, and this scripture pretty well sums it up. Colossians, chapter 2, starting with verse 9. Colossians, chapter 2, verse 9. For in Him, talking about Christ, for in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We talked about that a little bit last week. 
in Christ Jesus, the Son of God, in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God the, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you know who He who fills Him up according to Ephesians 1? Us. His, we're part of His body. In Christ uh, uh, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, that connection, that relationship just really should cause us to pause and, and, and bow our hearts before God in, in the reality of, of that relationship that we have with our holy and righteous God. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse 10, here it comes. You are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. You're complete in Him. What does the word complete mean? It means there's nothing lacking. There's, there's nothing you need to do to earn God's favor. You have it through Christ. To earn God's grace, you have it through Christ. To earn God's righteousness, you have it in Christ. You are complete in Him. You think, oh, I fall far short. Yeah, you do. But Christ doesn't. And you are in Him. You are complete in Him. Remind the enemy of that when he comes against you. See, I think the reason why the enemy has his way with us so often, that Satan just seems to be able to trip us and flip us and, and knock us down and cause us to be so depressed and there be such defeat, is because we don't know the Word of God and we don't know how to re respond to Him. When the enemy came against Christ in the wilderness, what is the one thing he used? The Word of God. The Word of God. And guess what Satan didn't have an answer to? The Word of God. And so, folks, I'm telling you, when Satan comes and brings those doubts and brings those fears, you remind him, I'm complete in Christ. In this flesh, I know I struggle, but I'm seated in the heavenlies. I am in Christ I am complete in Him. There is nothing lacking. There is nothing I can do to add one inch of, my, uh, of stature to my relationship to God. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. He already loves me with a perfect love. Folks, just getting our minds around that, tr that truth to me is fascinating. It is glorious. I can't do anything to make God more gracious toward me. His grace is complete in Christ. There's no work that I could assign for you to do that's going to make, okay, well, if I do, got to check this off, and this is going to make God more gracious toward me. Oh, I know what I'm going to do to make God love me more. He already loves you with a perfect love. Remind the enemy of that. You are in Christ. Yeah, the enemy thought he had his way when he got the mob to go, crucify him, crucify him. We fixed him so much for that seed of the woman thing, so much for that he's going to bruise my head. Feel this as the nails were driven into his hands. See, he took that on. Satan did all of his nasty, he did his dirty. So Satan has nothing, not a charge, there's nothing he can do to influence your relationship with God the Father when it comes to causing God to love you less. 
what a wonderful position we have in Christ. I get so tired sometimes of people saying, well, in order to satisfy God, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, and God expects this, 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 and this, and this. God expects you to be faithful, absolutely. And I'm not saying that because we are in Christ that we can go out and do anything and everything we want to do and we have carte blanche and, and there's liberty to sin. God forbid, that's what God's Word says. But I've got to tell you, it's not because I read, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt do. It's because I died for you. You are in Christ. You represent me. You are my child. Here are my blessings. And I just want to say, God, thank you. And I love you and I want to serve you. That's the truth of our relationship with Christ. See, religion says, you want to satisfy God? Here are the things you have to do. Christianity says, it's paid in full. Mission accomplished. That's the difference in the God we serve. His expectations are for His children to love Him absolutely, for His children to serve Him, for His children to obey Him, but just because we want to. So on Facebook this week that um, uh, some of, uh, one of our relatives, uh, Faye's uh, niece and her daughter were in a discussion and the niece was sitting on a ba- banister or something on a stairway and the mother said, get down off of there. And uh, the daughter said, I don't have to. And she said, get down off of there. And the niece, I mean, the, the, the daughter was really kind of playing with the mother, and she said, you can't make me. And the mother said, because the niece is getting pretty big. I mean, she's getting old. And the niece said, you can't make me. And the mother said, you know, I can't. And the niece said, but I want to, because I love you. And so she obeyed. Now, in my opinion, the niece should have, uh, the, the daughter should have gotten down as soon as the mother said, because children obey your parents in the Lord, and I don't care how old you get, I expect my 44-year-old daughter to do what her daddy tells her. Amen? Children obey your parents in the Lord. There's no age limit for that. But when I read that, I thought, you know what? That's kind of the, what I'm wanting to get across this, this morning. Is it's not when God tells us to do something, it's like, okay, yeah, because it is there and there's going to be a punishment if I don't and there's going to be a, a repercussion. And uh, It's because God's Word tells us to do it, so we desire to do it because we love Him. We realize who He is and we realize it's for our own good. I mean, oh my, her sitting on that banister was kind of dangerous, actually. With where she was, that wasn't good for her and she may not have the... The life experience to know that if she goes tumbling down, she might have to go to the ER. But her mama knows that. So, and, and, and I was raised, how many of you were raised the way I was raised because your daddy or your mama would say, because I said so. That was always enough for me, because I said so. Okay, I'll do it. We are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. But read on in verse 11. In whom you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
You have been buried with him in baptism. Not water. Hey, there's no water here. It's the baptism of his death. It's the one that he talked about in Luke 12, 50, that he had a baptism in which to be baptized of. And that the disciples, you're going to be baptized the same thing. And Paul's talking... Paul was never talking about water baptism. He's talking about the one baptism, the spirit baptism, where we have been buried with him in baptism, in death, wherein you are also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. We've been buried with him. We have been raised with him. Look at verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. You identify with him. Look at Galatians chapter 2. I love this verse. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This verse kind of explains what we're talking about also. Any of you ever been physically crucified before? I already know the answer to that. Look at verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. See, you can say that. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, there are a couple of things you want to point out here. <laughs> number, number one, you identify with Christ in his crucifixion. I am crucified with Christ, which means you are dead. You are dead to sin. And because of your relationship with Christ, you are no longer dead in sin. You're dead to sin because if you're dead, sin no longer has dominion over you. That's a pretty neat position to be in, right? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, not in the Son of God. If your translation says in, it is a wrong translation. That preposition matters. The life you live now, as you are in Christ, you live by the faith of Christ, by His faithfulness. Look up at verse 16. It goes into more detail there knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Christ, or the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that word in is there, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. The only reason you can be justified and declared righteous is because of the faithfulness of Christ Jesus. Had he not been faithful to the cross, had he not been faithful to die on the cross, so many of the translations want to put it on the human being and make it look as if, okay, it's your faith in Christ. I got news for you. The reason your faith has any meaning at all is because of the faithfulness of Christ. And that 
preposition of is absolutely necessary there in order to understand the full meaning of what Christ has accomplished for us. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And I am crucified with Christ. Wow, what a glorious position that is. Uh, back to Colossians 3.3 real quick. Colossians 3.3 3. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. You tell me that that position in Christ is not important. You are dead. According to Romans 6, you're to consider yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Well, you see how important it is that we recognize the fact that we are in Christ? Look at Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. Again, Paul's talking about... Well, let's start with verse 1. Romans chapter 6. Yeah, Romans 6, 1, Tim. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That's your position, folks. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, that's not water. That's not talking about an act where somebody takes you and they dunk you down or they sprinkle or they pour on you. It has to do with the, the one baptism of this present dispensation, and that is the spirit baptism. It is the one baptism that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4.4. There's one faith, there's one Lord, there's one hope, there's one calling. There's one baptism. And we're going to identify that baptism in just a couple of seconds. And it's not water. It's not water. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Identification. Identification. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. There you go. You are dead in Christ. Now you need to walk in the newness of life. What an expectation. Not because you have to, but because you want to. But I'm going to tell you something. Christ dwells in you. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And because of that fact, you can be certain that God is going to direct, God is going to lead the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, is going to convict. So there is guidance there is leading because we are indwelt by God himself. That's why when you read these scriptures and all of a sudden the, the, the truth of that scripture, because it's alive, the Holy Spirit just bears witness that, well, that's so true. That is so good. 
We are buried with him by baptism into death, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. When were you planted? When were you placed? When were you immersed in the likeness of his death when you were placed in Christ? When were you placed in Christ? Turn to 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. Verse 12. And hold your finger that in Romans 6, because we're going to go back to that in just a sec. For as the body is one and hath many members... And all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. By one Spirit are you baptized into one body. Talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's it. And it's something that you don't get later on in your life. It's not a second blessing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes. It takes place the moment you believe that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. The moment you understand that you're a sinner and you need God's grace and you by faith believe in the gospel of Christ, you are baptized, you are immersed, if you will, you are placed, you were dipped. I don't care how you want to put it. You are placed into Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And you know what else the Holy Spirit does? He seals you until the day of redemption. There is absolutely, and that is your identification with Christ. That the bapti, baptism, ap, absolutely, the whole purpose of baptism, whether it be water baptism, identified Israel as God's nation of priests. I could show you scripture after scripture in the New Testament where the priest, it was absolutely essential that they go through a ceremonial cleansing in order to be a priest of God for the nation of Israel. Aaron's sons would come. Aaron and his sons would come. And by law, they had to go through a ceremonial washing in order to be the priest of Israel. And what does God call the nation of Israel in the Scripture? That they're going to be His nation of priests. And He talks about, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. And John the Baptist comes preaching the baptism of repentance, and the, and the Jews were coming, and they were being baptized of Him in the Jordan, preparing them to be that nation of priests, identifying with their role as the priestly nation in the Old Testament. And today in this present dispensation, there is a baptism that's absolutely required in order for you to be saved. And that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which happens immediately upon you believing you are baptized into Jesus Christ, into His death, into His burial, into His resurrection, into His ascension. In every aspect of Him, you identify with Him. You are complete in Him because of that role. How dare we try to add anything by, obs by observance or by ritual that thinks we can add one tither. Is tither a word? Maybe not the right word here. But you know what I mean. One iota to what Christ has done on our behalf and made us come. I'm complete in Christ. I don't need to walk an aisle. 
I don't need to be water baptized. I don't need to do anything except what God's Word tells me to do, and that is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can believe in Christ sitting right there. I can believe in Christ driving down the road and realizing I'm a sinner. I, and the moment we do that, we are complete in Him. It is horrible for a man to think he has to add some kind of religious experience to what we have in Christ. I am convinced it is a slap in Christ's face. It is saying your death, your burial, your resurrection is not enough for me. Oh, we're complete in Him. We are complete in Him. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink of the one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not of the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Look down to verse 25 that there should be no schism in the body for that the members should have the same care one for another. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. You are the body of Christ. You identify with Him. Where God has placed you in the body, that's a fun thing to find out. Where, Where God desires to use you, wow, what a adventure what a blessing that is but I've told you many many times let me tell you what God didn't do he didn't save you to sit amen saved you to serve he saved you to work he he saved you by his grace but he's created you unto good works so that the gospel will go forth back to Romans 6 real quick and then we'll be we'll be done Romans chapter 6 Well, not done, but almost finished. Knowing that Christ, verse 9, well, uh, no, verse 6, chapter 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Have you been crucified with him? It's what God's Word says. You are cru- our old man, the old the Adam that you are in. In Adam we all die, but in Christ we're all made alive. You are in Adam lost, undone, unable to save yourself. You go from being in Adam to being in Christ, secure, sealed, identifying with Christ. Before you identified with Adam, you did all the horrible things that being related to Adam brings about. But knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin for he that is dead is freed from sin now if you if we be dead with Christ we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, 
Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. We've got two things going on here. Reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin, but don't let sin reign in your mortal body, showing that there's a will. You know, there's, there's a work to be done. That the flesh is always pulling you. But you understand who you are in Christ. Understanding what God's will is for your life. And be determined that, Lord, with the Holy Spirit empowering me, greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. I'm going to serve you faithfully. I'm going to serve you faithfully. You identify with His death, His burial, His resurrection, his crucifixion, every aspect of that you, you identify with Christ. I have so much more here. Real quick, Ephesians. Turn with me to Ephesians, then we will be done. Ephesians chapter 2. Why is it necessary to understand yourself to be in Christ? What's God's purpose for desiring that you identify with Him? For your security, absolutely. For that gift that He offers by grace of eternal life you can have because of your relationship with God in Christ. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. What is his purpose? For God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even, even when we were dead in sins has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's not a future event. That's where you are now, folks, in God's mind. That's a pretty glorious truth if you ask me. But here, verse 7. Why? Why? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of His grace in the kindness toward us through Christ, through Christ Jesus. It is God's intent in the ages to come, in eternity, that the body of Christ with Him as the head and us being part of His body that glorious bridegroom that we're going to be part of. It's God's intent that as all the principalities and all the powers and all the mights and all that are in heaven, people ask me, do you believe that there's life outside the United States? Hey, I know what God's Word says, that there are dominions, there's powers, there's principalities. Yeah, boy, there's a lot more. And you know what they're looking into? You know what? The manifold wisdom of God 
to save you, to make you part of his body, so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace to whom? To these principalities and these powers, that you are trophies of his grace. You are trophies of his grace. In fact, don't light your fire. Folks, I don't know what to light your fire. There's we, as we gather around the throne of God, as part of his body, as part of those who are so undeservingly so can claim to be heirs of God because of our relationship with God the Son in whom he's well pleased. The rest of creation stands back in awe and amazement. And it's through you that all of creation understands the manifold wisdom of God. As what you do is you declare the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's a glorious position. And the invitation that God makes to you is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he died for you, that he was buried, he rose again. Yeah, but isn't there something else I can do? Not to please God. There's something you might be able to do to please your neighbor or please your mama or even please your daddy since it's Father's Day. But the main thing, you want to please God? By faith, believe in his son in whom he's well pleased. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning as we come together that we understand fully that glorious position of being in Christ. Father, may we grasp with our heart and our mind the truth of that eternal security that's because of who we are in Christ. Father, we were saved because of the shed blood of Christ. We are kept saved because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Because of our relationship with you that we have been made, with Christ, we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Father, we stand in amazement and we praise you for it. Now, Father, I pray if there's anyone here that's never trusted you, that this will be the day that they will become that new creation in Christ, that they will be made part of that body and they can claim to be in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new being, a new creation. All things are passed away. All things become new. Because they're placed into the body, sealed into the day of redemption by God the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for that salvation. And I pray this, this morning that every person here enjoys it, they understand it, they believe it, and they live it. We pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.